So for the first time, for the first time this century, we actually have a proper name for the decade, which is really cool because before now, how would you refer to this time? Yes, we can, we can confidently say, oh yeah, I remember back in the 20s when Leon was still a very young man or <laughs> back in the 20s, this used to happen. Music was good. So it was always better in the past, right? So, so that's quite cool. So every new year, as is a new decade, is a natural point where we try and set out our goals, our expectations, where we have dreams, and we just try and lay out our plans for the 10-year period. And when we try and lay out our plans, when we try to plan for a period, the natural thing to do also is to look back and try and understand what we learned from the previous period, or what could have been done, what could have changed. And, and for me, when I look back to the previous decade, which unfortunately doesn't have a proper name, <laughs> one of the things that stands out for me is that I realized that that decade exposed me to a lot of challenges that I could not have imagined, challenges I was in not, not in any way prepared to handle or learn how to process. And this was hard. So at the beginning of the decade, three months after 2010 started, I sadly lost my sister in, um, in a car accident. She would have been 40 tomorrow. And, and when this happened, okay, my wife told me that the event changed me completely, changed my personality and the way I process things. And, when I look back now, I can understand why that was the case, because before that happened, the way I had lived my life, I lived my life believing that prayer could fix anything. If I had any problem, I could pray about it. And there was a lot of evidence for me to believe that. So on that Sunday, Sunday afternoon, when my mom called me and she told me she couldn't reach my sister, her phone was ringing, but she couldn't pick, and she, she was worried. I called my sister, the phone rang, she didn't pick. I just thought, it's not a big deal, I'll pray about it. So I prayed hard, and because of the history I had, I believed it was going to be fine. So the following morning, when the call came that she died in a car accident, my world was shattered. That event put a strain on my relationship with God. It, um, it also affected my relationship with life. And for the first few years of the decade, I was trying to understand, trying to figure out how to move on with this new knowledge that things like that can actually happen to me and I, I wouldn't be able to do anything about it. And this was hard. And when I'm faced with situations like that, what I do is I'd look for a way to, to explain it. It might not be accurate, but just something I can hold on to, some type of psychological construct that would help me move on. Without that, I, I, I feel stuck. And so in, in the process, I found this quote that seemed to capture it perfectly for me. And it says, when I hear someone sigh that life is hard, I'm always tempted to ask, compared to what? Now, I think I shared this quote about two years ago when I did a sermon. And this seemed to capture it very well for me. It's the type of thing you hear in those positive talks, right? Like, deal with it. This is how life is. So for me, in a way, I had a plan that I was going to move on with. And it seemed to work quite well until the last year of last decade. And the way 2019 made me feel was more like a quote from Mike Tyson, which says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. 
And this was how 2019 was for me. Beginning of 2019 for me was my sister's, this time my older sister's husband was diagnosed with cancer. And then he passed away a few months afterwards. And this was hard because dealing with the loss of my sister was difficult, but the loss of my sister's husband was a different challenge because with the loss of my sister, it was me dealing with those emotions myself. There was not, not room to think about other people, but how do you, how can you be there for someone you love who is going through a difficult thing that you can't fully understand? And this was really, really difficult. It was a different set of um, challenge for me. Now, while all that is still happening, my dad had a stroke. And the way I'll define my dad is the man who, who gave me the template on which my personality was built. So he, he pretty much set out a lot of things that define who I am now. So the, the drive I have for life, the way I approach things, my moral standards, those, those were things he said. So when he had a stroke and for a period I felt I would never be able to speak to him, I didn't know what to do. It was hard for me and it also exposed that difficulty in trying to process that and to see that even though my wife tried to be there for me, it was I felt she couldn't understand. But then that also made me realize that for a long time, in the decade, her dad was seriously ill, and I felt I had been able to support her. But in that period, I realized I probably wasn't able to do that. So you have the problem of dealing with all these emotions. And while that's happening, there are practical implications as well. So my family is back in Nigeria. I can't just get on a bus to see them. There are financial implications. You can't just decide, you know what, I'm just going to leave and, and do that. You still have to do your job and all of that. But then while all that was happening, my contract at work got canceled, got ended prematurely. So why did it get ended? It's a long story, but summary is someone made a mistake. They thought it was me, and then the contract was like, I didn't have a chance to explain. So in a way, this is what defines like the previous decade for me. And the question I've been asking myself, I'm trying to ask myself is, how do you go into this next decade with all this knowledge, with clear understanding that there are things that would happen that we don't have control over and still be able to focus on life, on relationships, on my relationship with God? In other words, how can I live life to the full? And that's the title of the message um, for today. So what I'm hoping I'm going to do, I'm going to share with you three um, three things that, three observations I made in trying to deal with all of this, and one lesson I believe I learned with hopes that there could be something we could take away from this that would, in the next decade, hopefully help us live our lives to the full. So I'd like us to pray before we start. Father Lord, I, I just want to give you thanks for today. Thank you for the beginning of a new year, new decade, Lord. As I'm about to speak, I just ask that you stay in absolute control, Lord. That you should just be the guide of the things I say. I know for me it's a difficult subject to talk about, and, but there are real issues as well that we all have to face at different times. I just pray that you're the one who speaks this morning and you guide us and that everyone will be able to take something from this that would be useful as we start this new journey of this new decade, Lord. I thank you so much for everything. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So if you don't mind, turn into book, to the book of Job. So I remember in the mid-80s, so it's quite cool to use the eight to, to have a name for a decade, right? In the mid-80s. If you have a name for a decade, it sounds really cool. But if you're using the actual name, you sound a bit like a geek. Remember in 1985, like, no, I don't remember. <laughs> but like mid-80s sounds much better. Remember in the mid-80s, um, when I started reading the Bible, my mom gave me some stern instructions that I should never read the book of Job. Yeah, she was like, there's a lot of bad stuff in that book. You shouldn't read that. You're too young. And, and I actually never read it until I became an adult. And you can understand why. So in the book of Job, if I start from chapter um, 1, verse 1 to 3. Chapter 1. I'll start from verse 1. So in the land of Oz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So we have a background of Job here. He's a great guy. He's very rich. And he, he, they said he, he was blameless and upright. And he feared God and he shunned evil. So a good guy by all accounts. He's rich and he has high moral standards. Now if we continue from um, verse 6. I'll read from 6 to 12 now. One day the angels came to present themselves before God. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job God fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch your hand out and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of God. So this tells us that Satan is active, is constantly moving around, looking for mischief. And it's interesting, it says he reports to God as well. They have this conversation, which is a bit scary, right? And then it goes on from um, verse 13. To 19. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were um, feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plying and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians, Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to, to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God came from the heavens and burned up the sheep and servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made up with them. They put the servants to sword, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another one came and said, Your sons and daughters were um, feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept 
in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. When I first became a Christian, about 20 years ago, um, and I explained to my dad, I was having a conversation with my dad, I explained to him what it meant, the types of decisions I was going to start taking. Um, he said he was really worried for me. And the reason why he explained that he was worried was that he, he said from his experiences in life, he has realized that the stronger the faith you have, the bigger the challenges you'd face. And he was worried because I was fresh from school, I was starting my career, and he felt like this was a decision that would in, in some ways expose you to more challenges that you can handle at the beginning of your life. And it, it was explained like that. It was an interesting idea, which I, would, I later found from experience is actually the case. Um, so we see Job here, um, someone who is upright, someone who's, who's a great guy. He's living his life well. He's making sacrifices just to make sure he's right with God. But then he cut, gets caught up in this bet between God and Satan. If you really think about it, that's what it is, right? Satan is like, your creations only love you because of what you give them. If you take that away, they're going to curse you. And God's like, really? You think so? So they're having this argument, and it's like, if someone challenges you, like you're the head teacher or something, and they're like, your, your students are not as good, you're going to look for the best student, right? So God chooses Job because he's the most upright man. And we all admire Job for his faith and all these great things. But let's be honest, I wouldn't want to be chosen for that type of challenge, right? <laughs> and I'm sure none of us would want to be. And it is, it is scary when you think about it that this cosmic event resulted in someone suffering. And he's not the only um, example we see like that. Another very good example is the Son of God, Jesus. If, you if we turn to uh, Matthew chapter 26, So Jesus went through a lot of suffering, like Tuna was sharing with us, right? In the final moments leading to his crucifixion. And it was quite a lot of emotional um, and intense um, time for him as well. In verse 31, it reads, Then Jesus told him, This very night you, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. From 38, it goes on to say, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. So what we see here is, again, because of, in this case, Jesus voluntarily took on this challenge, right, to, to suffer in order for us to be reconciled with God. Again, suffering as a result of something happening behind the scenes. And then the question now becomes, um, when you think about it, like I think about what my dad told me, it will seem like, okay, having faith exposes you to, <laughs> to difficult situations, which is scary in a way. And to give a bit more information to, to what my dad told me, I don't think it's necessarily the case. Like the Bible tells us that when we're tempted, right, we wouldn't be tempted beyond what we can bear. And that would imply that if you can bear more, you're going to be tempted more. If you can take more challenges, more will be thrown at you. 
which is scary if you think then what's the point of having faith. I don't think we're necessarily facing first. I don't think every time something bad happens, it's because a bet is going on between God and Satan, right? Thankfully, that's not the case because Jesus died for that. And this, this example is there for a reason. Um, Job stood out, and I think it's an important example. That said, I think there's some, something to be said about how our choices, whether or not we have faith or our moral standards, draw some type of baseline for the way we experience challenges in life. And the example, when my, I had a conversation with my dad, it's like a good one, because what was actually happening then was, okay, I got my first job. It was a small startup. The, my boss had a lot of dreams for his company. He, he had things he wanted to do. So every employee was very important to achieve this goal. But then I got an offer to go for, attend an interview for a big multinational, which was like the dream I had. Now, because it was a small company, if I spoke to him and told him I was going for a job interview, so if I was going to take time off, he would want to know why, right? And because he's in control of the whole company. And if I told him I was going for a job interview, I'll get fired because it wasn't like part of his dream, right? Of course, an option would be to reply, report to the employment agencies. But, oh, no, sorry, that's Nigeria. Doesn't <laughs> exist, right? So. So there was pretty much the options where if I told him I was going to a job interview, he would fire me. But then I didn't want to lie. And this was a conversation I was having with my dad. Now, what eventually happened was I did get fired because I went for the interview. And, and as a result, I was out of work for like six months because the interview was slower than I expected. So in a way, I, because of that decision, I was in a difficult situation. And that was challenging for, to be in a big city without a job. And then after graduating from school, I had to depend on funds from home again. So that's a challenge that has come from a decision of living a life in a particular way. But it's not necessarily the case that you get punished for having faith. It's just the way things are. It's, it would be the same analogy if, if you said someone didn't really care that he was going through a difficult time and he was seen partying and just having fun like nothing mattered. So the types of decisions we make in a way affect how we respond to difficult situations. And if we are Christians, it might be tougher. It's just the way things are. But thankfully, not everyone, everyone has to face this challenge. As we see in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, And I'll, I'm going to read, um, just give me a minute. So verse 1 and 2. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny. The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. And then in, in verse, two, um, verse 12, it says, Moses, Moreover, no one knows when the hour would come. 
will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly on them. So my first observation basically was life will, life will be presented with many opportunities to break us and it will take them. And this is what I found thinking about the things I'd gone through, right? And this is quite hard to think that challenges are going to come in life and when life does this, it does it coldly, without emotion. Just because you might have faced challenges in the past doesn't make you immune from facing more challenges in the future. Just because you've been broken before doesn't mean you'll be broke, you won't be broken again. And it does so without discrimination. This is scary, right? For me, this was quite scary, but it doesn't actually end there. If you continue in um, Ecclesiastes chapter nine, in verse 11, it says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, or food, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. So not only does life break us, life actually breaks the rules as well. Life will break the rules from time to time. As we see there, as I explained in Ecclesiastes, like sometimes the expected outcome is not what happens. And this is how I felt when when my contract was ended, because I felt like, okay, this is, I'm almost being, I'm being punished for something I didn't do, but that's the way it is, right? It can happen. And it's the way life is tough. It can be tough, right? And in Matthew 20, Jesus tells us um, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And basically the summary of this is, a man saw some people, he employed them to go and work on his vineyard, he employed them from in the morning, so they were going to work all day, and he agreed on the price to pay them. They were happy with the price, and they started working. And then at noon, he went back and he hired more people. He agreed another price with them. They paid those guys as well. And they, well, he, they agreed on the price as well for those guys. And then in the evening, he found more workers who he employed to do some work, and he agreed on the price. Now, when it was time to pay them, when the payment started, he started paying, with paying the people who started in the evening first. Now, what the other workers didn't know was that he had agreed the same price. Everyone was happy with what he agreed with them. But when he paid the people who started in the evening, the people who started in the morning and afternoon were quite excited because they, they thought they were going to get more money, right? Because these guys just worked two hours and they've been paid five pounds an hour. Surely it's not going to pay us five pounds an hour. It's going to pay, well, I don't even think, sorry, I'll put it, it wasn't the, the rate per hour, it was the, the rate per day, basically. So it's like, he's paid them 100 pounds for working today. So those other guys expected they would get 200 pounds, even though they had agreed 100 pounds to them. But then when he paid all the other workers, they were quite unhappy because they were like, why would you pay me who worked all day exactly the same amount? And it's a guy's money. He chooses what he does with his money, right? And this is how life can be. It can be tough sometimes. It can be tough when like, the rules don't apply. And this is, is a difficult challenge. And we see that again with Jesus in Matthew chapter 27. 
I'll read from verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with him, with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked, they answered, crucify him. <clears throat> so what we see here is Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. Not only did he know he was innocent, his wife sent him a message saying, listen, that guy is innocent. Just let him go, right? He knew the right thing to do, but then there was a lot of pressure, and he basically succumbed to that pressure. And these are the types of things that happen in life, right? There are all these forces we don't have control over that will put us in situations where we'll feel unjustly treated. Now, in the case of Jesus, it's easy to think or assume that, well, the plan was for him to die anyway, so those things would have been controlled. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think what we see here is actually a confirmation of the fact that humans act in a particular way. So it wasn't as if God had influenced Pilate to make sure he, he sentenced Jesus. There was a lot of free will going on, but because of these forces that we we experience day to day that put us in unjust situations, it will seem to me that in a way, just a confirmation of the fact that human beings have hearts that would do things for their own selfish interests. And in that process, we would have this tough situation. And this, these two observations for me, the fact that life breaks us not only does it break us, it doesn't follow the rules. These, these are things that will make a strong case for you to be an atheist, a strong case for you to say, you know, what? Well, what's the point? I don't, what's the point of believing in God? What's the point of following moral standards if this is what's going to happen? And following high moral standards also puts you in a way in some type of disadvantage. And this was quite hard. And this is what I was thinking until the third observation which I made, and the third and final observation which I realized is that even though it's true that life is going to break us and we don't have control over all of that, even though it's true that life will break the rules, our actions actually still matter. And the best example we'll see of this is when Jesus was finally on the cross. If we look in John chapter 19 this time, I'm going to read from verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there so that they, was there, so they soaked it in a sponge and put the sponge on the stalk with hyssop and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he, he had received the drink, he said, it is finished. With that, 
he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. So even though Jesus was in pain, there was a point at which there was like the moment of truth, a point of reconciliation, a point where he reflected on all the things he had done up until that point, right? And this was the moment of truth because if Jesus had failed, if he had done the wrong thing, so for instance, if when he was tempted to jump and he really wanted to prove to Satan that, yeah, if I jump, I'm going to be protected by God, and then he did that. If he had drifted or failed in the things he did, then the sacrifice at that point would be worthless. And we get a sense here that even though he was still in pain, when he said it is finished, it seems as though there was a sense of relief, almost like there was a justification for the suffering, almost like the suffering and all that pain was not in vain. So the pain is still there, but the, the relief that comes from it in a way supersedes that pain. And I, it's hard to, to explain this. The best analogy I can think of, for instance, is like, I was fortunate to be, to be at the bed of my two kids, right? And labor pain is intense. It's like, I don't know how bad it is, but I saw okay, it was like, it was bad, right? And you have like almost six hours of intense pain. And then when the baby finally came out, it was almost as if it had switched off. But as soon as Oge saw Saroge, she was like so happy and it was all smiles. Now the pain was still there, but the fact that there was some type of justification for the suffering made the pain not matter as much. And that is what leads to the lesson I learned in, in all of this. And the lesson is that the pain of hardship is deeper when life is unexamined. So hardship is a constant, right? I think hardship exists because we are humans. It's, it's a necessary condition for our existence. Like, if, if the fact that we have limitations is what defines our existence. If we, if we didn't have any limitations, if we would never die, for instance, and we could live forever, then we wouldn't be human beings. What defines that is when we had the separation from God and man, and God said, okay, from this point on, this is what's going to happen. You're going to die. You're going to work. That is the point that pretty much defines like, the boundaries for our existence. And because those boundaries exist, that's why we have this pain. Because if those boundaries were taken away, then that's the point where we'll be in heaven, right? So hardship, pain and hardship is there. It's never going to be taken away. Um, and the existence of pain and suffering in a lot of ways, can make you wonder, what is the point? It can make you think that there's really no point of, <laughs> of just this whole pointless suffering and all of that. But what I found is a lot of things we, it might make life seem like it doesn't have meaning, but what I've found over and over again is like a lot of things we attach the most value to are somewhat bound to pain and suffering. If you really think about it, the fact that we 
the realization of our mortality, for instance, is what sparks that yearning for eternity. And that yearning for eternity is something that gives everyone some type of hope to keep going. Life only comes after labor pains. New life comes after labor pains. Christ's suffering on the cross is the reason why we have any hope for eternity. So our actions, when we are faced in difficult situations, play a big role. And, and what I found is, even though the pain is not going to be gone when we, when we are in difficult situation, our response, for instance, it can be difficult and painful to be going through mourning or going through death of a loved one, right? But what can be more difficult than that is going through the death of a, long one, a loved one when all the relatives have toxic, sour relationships. It's a lot worse. It's a lot deeper. When I think of when my contract was ended, the greatest source of distress for me wasn't the fact that the contract was ended, but it was more like, have I done enough preparation to be able to actively and quickly look for another um, contract? So in a way, if I had not taken the right actions up to that point in time, then the distress would be deeper. And for this, I just want to say, like, going into the new year, um, the new decade, it's just important for us to be aware that we're going to face difficult situations. It will be naive not to think there'll be obstacles on the way. It will be naive not to think there'll be mountains in the distance. But I strongly believe, and the Bible tells us that if we watch our life and doctrine closely, then we would we will be able to save ourselves and save others. And I strongly believe that. I strongly believe that if we take right steps to constantly watch how we conduct ourselves, when hardship comes, we'll be better equipped not to be able, not only to, to numb some of the pain it brings, but in some cases be able to help others numb some of that pain. And Jesus Christ said that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that we may have life and have life to the full. I believe that if we can live, if we can conduct ourselves in a way where we're watching our life and doctrine closely, even though those obstacles and challenges will give us scars, we can still have the ability to live life to the full. So before I close out, I'm going to play a song. Um, it's... It's a song titled, I Hope You Dance. I really like the song because I feel the lyrics closely capture the types, the thoughts I had as I was preparing the sermon. So I hope you enjoy the song. And once again, I'd like to welcome you to the 20s. Thank you. Thank you. 
Choice to sit it out. 